Everyone likes a great deal, like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place to go. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a special connection or even call in a favor. State Farm has options, like insuring your ride and your home, getting you great rates on both. Why are these such surprisingly great rates? It's what you get from them. Coverage that meets your needs. Because insurance shouldn't put a hole in your wallet. Those good neighbors are in your corner. No promo codes, no waiting around for holiday deals, and no sales section. State Farm fits your life at prices that fit your budget. So where do you go for surprisingly great rates? It's State Farm. Because like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Hello and welcome to Youthful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. How are you doing, Katie? I'm okay, you? In reality? Yeah. I'm kind of so, actually. I have, I have kind of a headache. I'd say it's like a an eight, maybe a seven Whoa. right now. Yeah. But I'm going to fight through it. That's, yeah. you know. That's what, it's always uh, fun when your co-host decides to go Christian scientist on you. <laughs> I'm good. You I... think I'm rejecting medicine? Is that yeah. Right, right. So lots of stuff to talk about this week. We, uh, I think we have good good uh, Democrats and Republicans suck this week. Uh, unusually uh, yeah. spicy. First of all, we have a great guest this week, but we've already told you who that person is. So. Yeah, but in case you didn't watch our uh, Monday morning. Yeah. We know it's Oliver Stone. It is Oliver Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Who is uh, somebody I have, I realized last night I have many questions for because uh, his work has come up so often in in my career sort of indirectly uh, that is going to be interesting to talk to him. Like, for instance, a lot of the people I spent covering after the 2008 financial crisis were folks who mistakenly thought that Gordon Gekko was the hero of Wall Street. You know, so right. it'd be interesting oh, right. to talk. it's going to be fun to talk to him about some of that stuff, but um, yeah, has some yeah. other things he wants to discuss, too. So we'll get to all that. But uh, what do we have for for Democrats like this week? I'll just say it's a little ridiculous that the pro science, pro vaccine party, the Democrats aren't doing all that they can do to get other countries vaccinated. Right. Um. And there's an article in, in, in these times by Sarah Lazar which shows that uh, she got her hands on some documents from the uh, uh, latest uh, WTO meeting. Um, And uh, it turns out that they're not being as proactive as they could be. And she, in these documents that she got her hands on, uh, the United states referred to the recent statement by president biden in support of a waiver of intellectual property protections for covid 19 vaccines given the urgency of the pandemic and the recent developments of a new variant therefore the u.s said it will continue to engage with members to look for areas of convergence that can lead to a solution but uh, according to sangita shashi kant of the third world network a global of research and advocacy organization based in geneva the u.s has not said much what appears to me is at the political level they're saying one thing but the technical team 
which refers to delegates who represent the U.S. trade representative at the WTO. The technical team sees their role as facilitating discussions. There seems to be a disconnect between what the Biden administration must be say, may be saying and what may be playing out in reality. They're uh, not really pushing this waiver as much as they could. They're kind of supporting it in name, but they're not uh, accepting the waiver that uh, South Africa and India put forward. Is this surprising? So, this is not. Nah, I guess it's not surprising. It just, it just, it's incredible with the Omicron thing that this, there isn't more discussion about this. I think the the lack of movement on the the uh, vaccine waiver speaks to, is sort of the ultimately hypocritical political position because they've not only pressed for mandates in this country, um, they've turned it into a sort of a culture war lodestar, right? Like right. you must be vaccinated or else, you know, or else you're a bad person. I mean, there's been, there we've had people suggesting now that you should be denied insurance coverage if you don't vax and stuff like that. Right. Like it, it's, be, it's become a, a fixation uh, on one side of the aisle, but if you're not actually committed to getting everybody vaccinated because well, except for in the instance of when it might prevent us from reaping massive profits or our donors from doing that. Right. You know, except for in that case, we don't really believe it. I mean, it, it's just it just makes the whole thing triply infuriating. The, the irony, of course, is that probably this won't stoke a whole lot of outrage on the right. This this whole idea of protecting profits and, and free enterprise you're probably not going to get a ton of Republican legislators. Uh, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, going after the hypocrisy here. Right. Um, whereas to me, this undercuts all of the moral outrage about the vax mandates and everything else. Right. Um, you don't and, really give a shit. Right. And all, right. I mean, and also it undercuts the idea that Dems are the, the party of science when don't they understand how this works like it it doesn't respect nation state borders right well of course it's of just course. so stupid i don't even it's i guess it's not surprising but it's just infuriating and i guess also yeah. the the white house determined so according to the washington post the biden administration has concluded that it lacks the authority to share details of moderna's vaccine process really but two senior administration officials told the washington post after a month's long legal review this is by dan diamond and it's at the washington post they could do um, whatever they wanted they could do whatever the hell they want right and I mean, like, especially what? in an emergency i mean the, the there's a million different things they could do they could they could order the industrial production of this at yeah. any scale they wanted and they yeah. could they could just uh, at any price they wanted but they'll they'll hide behind the technicality this is, this right. is the parliamentarian version of yes, the exactly uh, of, uh, of the vaccine, vaccine thing yeah so it's it's pathetic and it's really pathetic and it yeah. honestly it makes me like i don't believe in a lot of the anti-vax stuff but it makes me see how like if you're a left if you're an anti-vax person on the left this does create an I mean, I I kind of understand why we'll probably have to cut this out so we don't get demonetized or, or suppressed on YouTube. But I understand why, like, if the government had really had people's best interests at heart, they would obviously do all they could do 
to get the patent waiver lifted or to get the, the vaccine produced right for people in even if they live in other countries it's so stupid yeah is it just i mean it's just i I mean it just really is and then you you sound like a conspiracy theorist but it's true they just really care more about big pharma donations than they do about saving people's lives including the lives of americans because of the way viruses work well it just for, yeah for for me it's the it's the finger wagging you know right. you know pandemic of the unvaccinated on the one hand and then oh by the way the rest of the world can go die of COVID and infect us, by the way, right, uh, because, us, yeah. because, because we don't really care. We are, we are basically, um, you know, the hired flax of pharmaceutical companies and who isn't going to become a total cynic at that point. And, and it's, yeah. as you, as you point out, it's, it's hard not to be a conspiracy theorist at, at that, at that moment, because then you start to see well all these draconian measures that are about surveillance and and you know keeping track of who's vaccinated and who isn't requiring new forms of identification all these ideas I that are in the works defecation defecation identification yeah uh if they don't really care about the actual goal of vaccinating people then what's all that for um it's hard not right. to look at it it's just right. a yeah. it's just a power grab it's just a, you know an authoritarian thing so yeah. i don't know pretty gross oh, yeah. that, that that is perfectly representative of of everything that i can't stand about the democratic party and now just to switch to republican suck we have a, a, a series of stories that kind of demonstrate everything i can't stand about the republican party so this is kind of a, it's, it's sort of a perfect pair yeah i don't know katie did you hear the lauren bobert stuff uh yeah i did so we we got to just look at her initial comedy routine yeah. Of yeah, which, like, I'm, I'm kind of speechless at this. I, I'm in favor. I'm, I'm I'm a person who is in favor of tasteless jokes, right. Generally, but they right? should be funny. They they a they should be funny, and b you, there's got to be a little bit of a discount for being a member of Congress. Like, right. you know, you've got to have a little bit of sense about that. But yeah. anyway, let's let's look at her. Uh, this is obviously CNN's coverage of it, but let's let's look at this guy, Mr. Free Speech, Mr. First Amendment, Jimmy, Jim Acosta. Oh, my Acosta God. I couldn't care less about Assange and won't even like pretend to. This guy is uh, I, I this is this is embarrassing because Jim Acosta to me is like the biggest douchebag in in media. But anyway, let's. Oh, yeah. But sometimes you got to just like sometimes you got to show like, you know, the Project Veritas thing showed that that ABC journalist who was saying she couldn't report on Epstein stuff. Remember that? Right. We played yeah. this on the show. Sometimes you got to do that. Like there are people you really don't like. But anyway, so yeah. this is not Matt endorsing Jim Acosta. No, it is not. It's like we weren't you might be working. feeling all filled up after Thanksgiving, but unfortunately, we got an extra helping of turkey from Colorado Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Who but unfortunately, we got an extra helping of turkey from I mean, so stupid. God, just she's a I mean, turkey. Also, I think you're kind of underselling it. I don't know if I'd call her a turkey. Yeah, she's not. A, this isn't it's it's not a turkey thing. It, like, go back and do a, like five more years of anchoring at a, at a small regional market like yeah. Binghamton or something like that. Yeah, you'll get the jokes will be better. Right. You know, I, they must not have a good. I'm sorry, I have a headache. So I'm, I'm, I'm angry about this. But no, it's good. come on, like, like you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to do jokes on CNN, 
make i don't know anyway go make ahead good it's turkey three in comments about minnesota democrat ilhan omar i want to my left hair, and there she is ilhan omar Oops. and i said well she doesn't have a backpack we should be fine <laughs> <laughs> so we only had one floor to go and was like, ah, do I say it or not? And looked over. And I said, oh, look, the Jihad Squad decided to show up for work today. <laughs> Don't worry, it's just her staffers on Twitter that talk for her. She, she's not tough in person. We should note Congresswoman Omar says Bobert is lying about that run. And Omar tweeted, this whole story is made up. And Boebert has since offered something of an apology to the Muslim community, but not to Omar. By the way, that wasn't the only hateful thing Boebert said in that speech. She also took a homophobic swipe at Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who is now the father of twins. He wasn't even put in charge of this supply chain crisis. No, someone else was tapped for that because Mayor Pete is still at home trying to figure out how to chest feed. <laughs> Somebody ought to tell him so he could get back Sorry, to work. Sorry, can we rewind that just for a second? It's a really bad sign when you when you're on your home turf and you and you drop a joke like that and there's nervous laughter in the audience. Yeah. Right? So listen 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 to the response that Buddha just showed. He wasn't even put in charge of this supply chain crisis. No, someone else was tapped for that because Mayor Pete is still at home trying to figure out how to chest feed <laughs> somebody ought to tell him so he could get back there's like groaning in there right yeah i know and this is not like a woke audience yeah exactly like you you can't get laughs out of that audience with, with we're at whatever you're going for there yeah. uh and also fucking why I, I don't know anyway so she does this then of course um, everybody wigs out and she Tries, she tries to apologize so she doesn't uh, in, in over uh, a phone call so she doesn't have to do any in, in public. Right. Of course, it's unsatisfactory, right? Because she manages to be more offensive in the phone call somehow, right? When that doesn't work out, when that olive branch that she extended, which I'm sure right. was was not terribly olivey, uh, she comes up with this public statement. Hey everyone, this is Lauren with a quick update on a phone call I had today with squad member Ilhan Omar. I had reached out to her Friday and three days later I was able to connect with her on the phone because I wanted to let her know directly that I had reflected on my previous remarks. Now as a strong Christian woman who values faith deeply, I never want anything I say to offend someone's religion. So I told her Can you that. Stop here for a second. Even after I never want anyone to think that, that, that uh, I've offended someone's religion. She, you just got up in a in a public forum and basically said that a, 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 anybody who's Muslim uh, is a terror threat. Side bomber. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And the jihad squad. Yeah. Yeah. She said that she still wanted a public apology because what I had done wasn't good enough. Apology. So I reiterated to her what I had just said. She kept asking for a public apology. So I told Ilhan Omar that she should make a public apology to the American people for her anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-police rhetoric. She continued to press and I continued to press back. And then Representative Omar hung up on me. 
Rejecting an apology and hanging up on someone is part of cancel culture 101 and a pillar <sighs> of the Democrat Party. Make no mistake, I will continue to fearlessly put America first, never sympathizing with terrorists. Unfortunately, oh my Ilhan God. can't say the same thing, and our country is worse off for it. So her apology is, first of all, I'm sure it's a triple down, but it also, yeah, it's a triple down, but also her apology included a demand for an apology for things that weren't even actual things. And then, I mean, what a talk about a triggered snowflake. She's a triggered snowflake. That's what Bobert is. Is this really the best the the Republican Party can do? Like it used to be that members of Congress were, were. Made jokes like this behind closed doors? No, they were like third-rate country lawyers, you know what I mean? Who, yeah. who the, a bunch of real estate developers or whoever the three wealthiest farmers in the region would get together and they'd say, yeah. this guy is 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 just barely literate enough to, to, to do whatever we say and won't embarrass us uh, on the floor of the, of, of the house, right? Or... And so they'll, they'll give that person a bunch of money and usually and in nine out of 10 or me, I guess it's more like eight out of 10 cases, the districts are not contested. So the person never really has to campaign. And so, yeah, you got a lot of half smart people sitting in Congress. Right. right? But you never had I mean, it, it was never necessary to send absolute dimwits yeah. to to the Hill. Like that wasn't a prerequisite. They weren't they weren't actually actively looking for people who can barely write their name on the ground with a stick, right? Like right. with this new branch of kind of the Republican party, because we often in this show kind of long for the old days when the Republicans were kind of more overtly, like the, the, the Bush era Republicans were, were, they were more identifiable instantly as villains then. Right. But this, this is just, this is just being a stupid bigot and being proud of it that's yeah. all this is right? and then like just don't apologize just like go big or go home i mean you're an idiot no matter what but it's just like complaining i it is ironic because she's such a little offended like grow up man up woman up whatever it is like yeah, you can't i mean take if, it that someone's not accepting your non-apology i i guess it's trumpian except trump would never do this first of all the joke would be funnier For, yeah trump uh, would make a funny joke and he'd never right. apologize. He would never apologize. He would he would immediately lean into whatever the the unfair criticism or, or he would lean into whatever the the yeah. The, yeah. the outrage was and make it worse. Yeah. Uh, but usually consciously, you yeah. know, or at and least fun, half consciously. And like he'd be like, <laughs> remember he, he was like, let's let's be clear, like uh, her apology. Elon Omar's apology was lame. It was lame. <laughs> he, he said that once. Did he? Some, yeah. He's lame. Oh. I, and I, I just, like, why? Why is this necessary? I guess because, like, that's what she traffics in. And, you know, but, if you're not delivering, it's part of their culture war, right? But just to why does it have to be part of, like, I'm wrapped up in this Loudoun County story now. This is the, these are the people who got Glenn Youngkin elected, right. right? That that story was it was was about actual issues. I mean, you could have different opinions about them, but there were it was people saying, 
well, we don't think the role of teachers should be this or that, yeah. right? Like they won on the merits of the issue. And why is that not enough? Why do you have to have a moron like this person? I just yeah. don't, I just don't understand that. And who, who donates money to, to a person like that? I'm so, I'm like surprised that you're surprised. Am I surprised? Look, I mean, I grew up in the Strom Thurmond era where they, well, I guess the Strom Thurmond era extends for pretty far back in time. So I grew up at the end of the Strom Thurmond yeah. era where, where, you know, you had things like the white hands ad, right. Where uh, the whole idea was to signal to white voters that minorities are taking your jobs or whatever it is. Right. You know, it's the whole South park, you know, they took our jobs joke. The, the the trope for years was this is a dog whistling thing like minorities are coming for your jobs like they're people are coming over the borders um they're getting free stuff whatever it is they dog whistled yeah uh and and they often said offensive things uh but you didn't have the just being a, a raving idiot like like this person was was just not necessary i just can't believe a person like that gets elected i don't know which brings us to the next element of this which is ilan omar getting a, a voicemail oh yeah let's listen let's listen to okay. what happened next this is ilan omar explaining Someone that she got a voicemail i'm going to play you a voicemail that we received hours after i got off the phone with Representative Bobert after she posted her video. We see you, Muslim son of your bitch. We know what you're up to. You're all about to end the country. Don't worry, there's plenty that will love the opportunity to take you off the face of the fucking earth. Come get it, bitch, you fucking Muslim piece of shit, you jihadist. We know what you are. You're a fucking traitor. You will not live much longer, bitch. I can almost guarantee you that. These people are rising up. And you will be tried for a military tribunal. And you will be found guilty. Look, no, nor, normally, uh, I would say you, you can't point the finger at, at a member of Congress when... Uh, crazy people call up and make threats because they first of all they do it constantly if you talk to yeah. anybody who works in any congressional office they'll tell you they get yeah they get that kind of shit all the time like round the clock and it doesn't necessarily have to be connected to anything you know in this instance it's i think it's totally fair game yeah. like it's not you know this person is obviously i mean to be fair i'm sure as you were saying elon gets these things all the time but it's that one's pretty over the top and, um, you know, it's not outrageous to suggest that this type of stuff inspires people like that. When you see a congressperson making jokes about how someone's a jihadist, um, has a jihad squad and, oh, look, she doesn't have a backpack. Thank God. I, I just, this country is like, it's, it's dividing up into two, two camps. You know, they're, they're both almost impossible to the, the Democrats for me, like the story we had before about the vaccine waiver to me represents everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party. They are at their core, 
cynics, right? Corp- right, corporate. Right, who 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 basically are indifferent to um, human suffering. Yeah, to, to they'll they'll deal with it on some level if it if it doesn't like interfere with the core mission, which is making their donors happy, right? Right. And then everything else that comes out of their mouths about whatever is is just designed to, to you know to, to, to disguise that core mission, right? So whatever they talk about any other social issues, uh, what, whenever they're you know up in arms about about anything, uh, it's just it's it's difficult to believe or, or diffi- difficult to um, to sympathize with because you know that the at, at the core right. they're about this other thing. Then you hear this shit where it's like it's a movement that's that's designed to try to appeal to the the dumbest and worst instincts of the population. You know, I don't know. Is is this really all there is? Is is it cynics and bigots? Is that is that really our 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 profile politically? I don't know. Cynics and bigots. I like it. That's America. Welcome to the American political right yeah i mean does it really have does it really have to suck that badly matt Matt is getting like hopeful almost no i mean like another world you you think another world is possible see behind matt's cynicism is a real optimism for a better way of life i'm not actually a cynic that's the whole point because i because i actually do think that you know ultimately most people are are, are are decent people. Even our government, as horrible as it can be, you know, it, it it's it's always had an element of people who tried to do some the right thing, whether it was behind the scenes. Even if they were they acted like jackasses in public, they would get be get together. I mean, those bills that you see going through Congress, they're incredibly long. They take a, a ton of work to do. Yes, a lot of them are written by lobbyists, and, and the fine print of a lot of them is terrible. But a lot of you know, some of it isn't too, right? Like there's 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 a lot of well-meaning stuff in there that has to get hashed out by people who are serious, and they do work, they, they do hard work. Like I, this is one thing I got I got in trouble with Bernie about this once because I cracked some joke to him about the the laziness of people in the house because they they tend to fly home on yeah. uh, you know on thursday night and come back on tuesday morning or whatever it is and he like he, he turned around at me and he's like these people Matthew, work hard Matthew. you know they yeah and he he started he started to lay down the law and he's like are you kidding me like you think just think about the sheer quantity of stuff that, that we do and and so yeah like i it, it frustrates me because i think i, I was think, he at least like no don't don't get me wrong they're holding to corporate interests of course yeah he's like that but but uh, he ha- he has he has pride in the institution and in- right. and th- this this turned out to be a thing that people criticized him for ultimately right, right? Yeah, like he had too much faith in, in the democratic party yeah. he had too much faith in um but he he did really really believe in and and he was very emphatic that these people work hard they're they're, they're not they're not complete you know uh, zeros uh, it, it's never completely without hope at least they thought right uh, but this new, this new version of American politics, where it's, you know, I, just looks like a desert in both directions for me. By the way, uh, Wilson, can you drop in some "My Country Tis of Thee" or or something on to for? Oh, is he going to do under, that to me? Yeah. Under part of Matt's, yeah, thing. 
I don't think it was ever this bad before. If you interview members of Congress from the 60s and 70s, they 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 never behave like this. Uh, and they behind the scenes, they, they, they there was like some kind of collegiality and right. superficial levels of respect. Would it be funny if every time you had a headache, you got like increasingly earnest? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I need like a pill. All right. Anyway, anyway, what do we have? Uh, let's let's oh, get yeah. off this depressing topic and. Uh, right. and Gobert, to come on the show. We'll we'll uh, not really. I mean, it'd be fun to just mock her the whole time. Ugh. Anyway, all right. Let's move on to. Um, isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Yeah. So let's just go to the videotape. We got a story at um, at the New York Post: World's first living robots can now reproduce. Scientists say. We thought we knew all the ways life can reproduce, but now scientists have discovered a new one. Say hello to Xenobots 3.0, the world's first self-replicating living robots. In 2020, scientists at UVM and Tufts teamed up to, uh, to hand build computer designed organisms from frog cells. Now they've built Xenobots that can gather hundreds of single cells it's like a Pac-Man thing that they're doing. Compress and assemble them into a quote-unquote baby, and then release Xenobot offspring from their Pac-Man-shaped mouths. Living robots that look and move like themselves. We found Xenobots that walk, we found Xenobots that swim, and now in this study we've found Xenobots that replicate. I mean, they don't look like... I was a little disappointed because I thought we were going to see, like, the types of robots we've seen who that are like, like dogs. Like Decepticon or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I don't honestly even know why they're robots. They're robots. The robots created using the heart and skin stem cells from the African clawed frog were unveiled last year after experiments showed they could move and self-heal. Now they're saying they can self-replicate. It is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. They The organisms can swim out into their dish, find other single cells, and assemble baby xenobots. A few days later, the babies become new xenobots that look and move just like the initial creation so there there's a there's a vibrant single scene among uh frog these frog cells yeah your tone on this is completely wrong this is not cool this is horrifying and it's uh so it should be isn't that terrible yeah and and it's foreshadowing for the end of our species really yeah wow so it's not even weird at all it's weird but like you know we're gonna we're going to be looking back at this at this podcast uh, in 50 years when we're in a salt mine waiting waiting for the last of our species to be exterminated uh, by xenobots and There's think, a- gee, we, maybe we shouldn't have done those experiments. Right. I think we. I, yeah, I think that may be true. But it, can we show the photo the pa- of the Pac-Man thing happening? So first of all, they look like what kind of cereal do they look like? Cocoa puffs. Corn puffs, maybe. Corn puffs, yeah. And then if you scroll down, look at that. I mean, I barely know Pac-Man, but that looks like Pac-Man, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, you think yeah. I'm sanitizing? I'm turning into a game? No, I, th- I think they're playing on your your cuteness. That's what I'm uh, saying. Yeah. My cuteness uh, appreciation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how they that, that's how they get that's in the door. That's how they get you. Yeah, that's how they get into the cell and replicate. Uh, yeah. I ain't falling for that shit. I, if oh. I saw that thing, I would smash it with a hammer. <laughs> You would commit frogicide. Not only that, I would, I would, I would probably 
take the scientists out and 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 find a nice uh, quarry to dump their bodies into. Well, this is weird. So, so Michael Levin, co-leader of the research said, this is profound. These cells have the genome of a frog, but freed from becoming tadpoles, they use their collective intelligence, a plasticity to do something astounding. That's a weird euphemism, freed from becoming tadpoles. This, this guy's going to be eaten by one of his own creations in, uh, I don't know, it's probably already happened. Right, Check right. Twitter. Have we seen him? Where's Michael Levin now? Guys, Google Michael Levin. You're not going to find a single one. If we knew how to tell, tell collect- His foot is sticking out of some mechanical mouth right now. It's He's a frog. Down, you know. He's a frog head. If we knew how to tell collections of cells to do what we wanted them to do, ultimately, that's regenerative medicine. That's the solution to traumatic injury, birth defects, cancer, and aging. All of these different problems are here because we don't know how to predict and control what groups of cells are going to build. Xenobots are a new platform for teaching us. Yeah, that's the optimist view on all this. The pessimist view on, on this is... It's going to uh, be like the RoboCop thing? Yeah, I was thinking more Terminator. But it'll be it'll it won't be it won't be cool like Terminator. They they won't you know get in a car and drive after you. They will they will find you with you know supersonic speed and just you know without emotion just pull your head off and I don't know it's going to be ugly. But great scientific work. I'm yeah. really really impressed by that. So I like uh -oh. the idea of a single cell single scene that is cute yes yeah it's cute but it would I be cuter in actual living things what's the definition of a robot well it comes from the word for work usually i think it's a machine that we're used we're, we're putting to use to automate a work function i think it comes from the check there's a similar word in in russian but i don't know i don't know what to do. we'll have to ask some of our readers tell, tell yeah. us tell us what where where life ends and and robotics begins because yeah. that it gets confusing which yeah. I don't like. I like things to be nice and clear. Yeah. Uh, all right. So for Isn't That Terrible, same newspaper, cannibal sharks, half-eaten zombie sharks still hunts for prey in video. I'm making shark-centric content for, for, for Katie's sake. I think we, yeah. we owe Wilson Well, we need to. Well. I'm glad because it's, it's an expose. It's He's half the shark he used to be, yet still hungry. A scientist has captured gory footage of a shark on the hunt for prey despite missing a significant chunk of his body. The missing hunk was eaten in, a in an act of shark-on-shark -shark cannibalism, Good. according to the scientist who saw it firsthand. Uh, sharks eat sharks, that is well known, but is super difficult to film and document, said Dr. Mario Labrado, 35. Why, do they have, uh, like, performance um, anxiety? I don't know. The incident unfolded in front of Labrado and his team off the coast of Spain after they released an oceanic black-tipped shark back into the sea. Shortly after freeing the creature, a group of fellow predators, including bull sharks, that uh, descended on it. The gang of underwater carnivores brutally attacked the black tip, ripping away a massive chunk of its side. Just Yet despite there. missing a large portion of itself, the black tip continued swimming about in front of Labrado and his team for 20 minutes. It then died of its injuries. Oh, that's uh, really terrible. That almost makes me shark sympathetic. This may be sharkaganda. I wait, thought it was... I, I, thought, I, thought the, I thought the shark... Oh, okay. So he eventually dies, though. Yeah, he eventually dies, but he was he was on the prowl. It's kind of a misleading uh, headline. Yeah. It's cannibal sharks, half-eaten zombie car shark, still hunts for prey for twenty minutes in video. That's what they should have said. Okay. But still, I mean, it just shows you how vicious these sharks are. 
Should we see the video? There's video of it. just bleeding and yeah hate to break it to you buddy blame your own there is another story that uh under the, the heading more on sharks and it says aggressive six-foot sharks are now living in, in london's river thames and it says sharks are living in the thames with the river teeming with life uh 64 years after being declared biologically dead taupe Starry, smooth hounds, and spur dogs, which release, release venom from fins, are using the cleaned up waters as nurseries. They like giving birth in shallow bays and estuaries with young sharks remaining up to two years. The important thing is, I really like the idea of sharks in the Thames River. Really? Like I think, yeah, I think that, add, that, add, that would add a lot to British culture. Don't you think? Maybe. So you're saying just to create some, uh, like a little bit more spice, add Oomph. some more spice to their life. The Hound of the Baskervilles or, you know, some, right. some uh, Sherlock Holmes story and, you know, Dr. Moriarty falls off the river and is, you know, immediately set oh. upon right. by a team of sharks. I just think there's, there's not enough sharks in the, in the British experience. Yeah, they've been deprived. Yeah. So I, I, I'm all for this. All right. Why don't we, why don't you pay for some, you should like pay for some kind of transfer. Well, I'm not like that sharp. for it. Uh, all right. So that was uh, weird. And that was terrible. That was, yeah, weird and terrible. So I guess Although it was not terrible. I think according to you, they would be re re reversed. Yeah, they would be reversed. Yeah. We do this almost every week, though. All right, so that was the four food groups. We're going to talk uh, now to Oliver Stone, who needs a new introduction. Uh, he's one of the great directors, uh, film directors of our time, who has taken on many of the most controversial subjects of our time. Great director, uh, and uh, you may have seen his JFK uh, feature film, and now he has a documentary, JFK Revisited. Very excited to hear about that. Absolutely. So let's uh, talk to Oliver Stone. Everyone likes a great deal, like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place to go. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a special connection or even call in a favor. State Farm has options, like insuring your ride and your home, getting you great rates on both. Why are these such surprisingly great rates? It's what you get from them. Coverage that meets your needs. Because insurance shouldn't put a hole in your wallet. Those good neighbors are in your corner. No promo codes, no waiting around for holiday deals, and no sales section. State Farm fits your life at prices that fit your budget. So where do you go for surprisingly great rates? It's State Farm. Because like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Well, thank you so much. We're so thrilled to have you on. And we've been wanting to have you on for so long, so we're so excited. Your film um, was amazing. 
uh, lots of questions about it. I just wanted to ask you. And, and for those it, who don't know, this is JFK revisited through the looking glass and we're going to get into yeah. what's so interesting about it uh, in a moment, but yeah. yes. So yes, your film JFK revisited through the looking glass, um, which is uh, Showtime, uh, was excellent and wanted to know you had already done um, the JFK feature film. Um, which was, of course, based a lot on history. What, without giving everything away to people who haven't seen it, what to you stands out as the major things that have been revealed since uh, the release of that film? I knew you would ask me something like that. You know, uh, it's hard to sum it all up because, know. It, you know, it's actually a four-hour film. We cut it to two hours oh, for wow. purposes of Showtime, but the four hours come Ooh, out. Are you going to release the four yeah, hours? I was going to say, yeah. No, uh, it, will, it may play a few theaters in America, but, you know, it's really a platform thing. And it's a very, it is, it is a lot to, 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 to it's a lot to digest. Uh, in short, I mean, just to answer briefly your question, it, it goes back after 91, the film was made. It was a dramatization. And it resulted in the Assassination Records Review Board being appointed by Congress, an act of legislation, the JFK Records Act, which is pretty, pretty significant yeah. from a film. Yeah. The board, uh, six, six or five, six academics roughly, uh, existed for, they, they worked for four years from 94 to 98. And they had the power to declassify documents. They were supposed to declassify most everything, I guess, but didn't get there. They got about 60,000 documents and about, I gather 20,000 were still, are still not seen by them. And they, they have very, they had some very good technical experts working with them who dissected the details and that's very important in this deal so what we do is go back over the whole thing again and review the actual proof the evidence against oswald that he did it alone and we come out showing that all the evidence every all the evidence from day one the bullets the rifle the fingerprints everything is tainted nothing would be holed up in court you'd be thrown out of court on the basis just of chain of custody on top of that there, there are witnesses that were not interviewed by the Warren Commission. Some were interviewed and their testimony was slightly changed. We found three secretaries, this is in, I, we didn't find the, a, a researcher found in the 1990s, three secretaries who'd seen the whole thing from the fourth floor. And they claimed that they left right away to go downstairs to see what was going on after the president, after the bullets hit. They saw no Oswald on those stairs, and it's physically impossible. Contradicts with Hoover told Johnson at the time. Yeah, well, Hoover didn't know. I mean, he was just, right. he, he said that Oswald was did it right away, but uh, Oswald could not have gotten from the sixth floor, put the rifle away, stashed all that stuff, gotten out of there with all those boxes and run down those stairs and in far more than a minute. He would have taken longer, more than a minute or two. These girls were downstairs in about 30 seconds to a minute. So they see they saw no Oswald on the stairs and the people coming up the stairs didn't see him. So right there, you have to question, was Oswald on the sixth floor? And uh, I, I don't believe he was. But beside that, you know, the autopsy was a was a rune, was it was a farce. It was done by military guys who didn't want anything. They were put in charge and you're not supposed to have an autopsy run by the military, you see. So the real the autopsist had no power to really do what they wanted. But. They were incompetent anyway. There was a lot of great people who could have done it around. They were not asked. It was a strange autopsy with doctored photos. Now the photos we know are doctored because the photographer at the autopsy, the official one, Stringer, was interviewed by the by the by the board. 
and he was shown the pictures that were shown at the official pictures of Kennedy's skull. And he said, those are not taken by me. Those are not the shots I took. Wow. So you have a doctored photo situation and it shows a big deal, of course. I don't know, Katie, you're too young to remember, but when you see the Zapruder film, you see his head is he's shot from the front right here and the back of his head blows out. It's pretty gruesome. And that's a shot from the front. And, as, and they, the Warren Commission was stuck from day one with this idea that he was hit from the rear by three bullets. And it's just physically impossible when you examine all the evidence of not only the Zapruder film, but everything that happened in the autopsy to prove that those three bullets were the ones that killed, uh, that did all this damage. Uh, he had to be shot from the other side, from the front as well as the rear. The rear, he could not have been, he could have been shot from another, another window on another building. It didn't have to be from the sixth floor. Sixth floor was a very difficult shot because there was a tree that was growing right there. All these things that, I mean, they're all details like a Sherlock Holmes would break into the case and he'd say this, 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 that all adds up. It's accumulation of details. And that bothers me because from day one, they never, they never investigated this thing further. In fact, they went out of their way to kill off the investigation. And then there's like the color of the brain how long it had oh, been the brain. formaldehyde? I mean, that was the that was so it's a fake brain. It's a fake brain that's there. Uh, it's nobody else's brain because it was an it was a hospital where they did autopsies. No, that was somebody else's brain for sure because the the nurses, the people at Parkland, everybody saw the cerebellum dripping from his skull. Been shot there. It was dripping on the floor of the Parkland hospital. And by the time you know they got to the, it's a strange story. But frankly. The brain, they weighed this official, this official brain and the brain weighs as much as a normal person, which is impossible given the circumstances of the dripping brain. Right. So the chunk that we saw, right? I mean, the chunk that you see um, that Jackie O grabs. Yeah, she's going to, she's trying to retrieve the skull pieces and the, she's trying to do something to help him. Yeah. She really was shocked and she reached out on the back of the hood and that wonderful Secret Service agent, the only one who reacted, by the way, the only one, Clint Hill ran up on the car and jumped on the car. That, that was their job. Right. The Secret Service protection that day was just awful, awful. There were supposed to be motorcycles on both sides of the car. There was, seems to have been a lapse and the car slows down when, it gets, when he gets that first shot. The, the, the car almost stops. Why isn't the driver, he's, he's a professional driver, he's trained, you drive, you drive when you get shots like that, you speed up. Uh, there's dozens of these details. I don't want to go on and on, but it really is depressing that this country, in the matter of the shooting of a president, has gotten the worst, the worst kind of investigation, the clumsiest, as if no one wanted to know the truth, which is what we, we also examine the Warren Commission and the details of how they came up to be. And we find out, of course, that basically running the show of the, of the Warren Commission is Alan Dulles, who was fired as the chief of the CIA by Kennedy as a result of the Bay of Pigs in 61. Dulles was no friend of Kennedy and he was around the whole scene for all the, after he was fired, he was around the whole scene for a while. He even went to Dallas uh, uh, to sell his book uh, right before the assassination. Uh, so it looks, it point, we point a lot of the finger at, at Dulles as a manager anyway of the thing. And because of CIA's records, CIA conceals everything. They, they didn't cooperate really with the ARB. They stonewalled them on every account. And this is a shame. So did the Secret Service, but 
uh, files just didn't show up. They weren't, uh, no interest in helping them to solve this case. The CIA has always acted like a suspicious defendant from the beginning. Uh, and that's why, of course, I pointed a lot of my, I pointed fingers at it in 1991. Uh, it seems to be that it was organized at a high level. And they used the mob. Yes, they used Jack Ruby, who was a, a you know, a, a thug who killed the, the main witness. Because if Oswald had talked, there would have been tremendous uh, problems, confusions, re revelations. Uh, and uh, the mob was around the Cuban exile community who were anxious to get rid of Castro. And they hated Kennedy. And many of them hated Kennedy because he failed to get Castro, both at the Bay of Pigs and then a year later at the October Missile Crisis which is a huge deal, by the way. That was, it's much underrated what happened in 62. So the events of 62, I believe, led directly to 63. And he was, he was, he was marked. He was marked from that point on. Why? Because of Cuba, but also because of Vietnam. He was pulling out, and new records show that. And three, the Soviet Union. That was a big one. That was a big snowball because he was looking for detente. He had a relationship with Khrushchev after after the missile crisis. And they, what did they do? They formed, they signed the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which is an amazing event. It's the first time since World War II that the United States and Russia have been able to make an agreement. It's really amazing piece of history. Kennedy was a major achievement, he, he said, of his administration. He got it signed in September of 63, two months before he was killed. And in this country, you don't, you don't go for peace. When you go for peace, you make enemies. Uh, the people, a lot of people in government get fed by this machine, this military-industrial complex. CIA did not want peace with Russia. They wanted to get a bigger and bigger budget. Kennedy was wanting to cut the budget. So you have all these issues. Uh, and I think what matters today, well, I, I'm going to let you lead the question. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious because obviously when, when JFK came out, which I thought was a fantastically entertaining interesting movie at the time it was it was one of the last movies that i think gripped the attention of the whole country in um you know in a way other than as a piece of entertainment right it was it was a cultural sort of lodestar cult, right and uh, but you took a significant amount of flack uh for that movie at the time there was a lot of criticism you know about you know, some fact check details and that sort of thing. You must have had a lot of time between then and now uh, to think about what you might have done differently. And I was really struck by the difference in approach between that film and this one, which seems so much, it seems very much like uh, you went through methodically all the evidence for the official story this time around and focused a lot more on that than on the dramatic story of the conspirators could I, could I ask about your thought process and, and what, what you were setting out to do? Well, yeah, sure. It's simple. I mean, it's, I was a movie maker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to make movies. They have to make money you know, to continue in this business. I wanted to make an exciting movie about a very serious subject, a grim subject. Most people wouldn't go to that movie if, unless it was they were told it was, it was something exciting about it. So I didn't lie or I didn't change. I, I didn't fictionalize anything. I dramatized I condensed with witnesses. I, of course, had to shape the story to give it. But the, the biggest revelations in the movie, in that movie, were the same that emerged still to this day about the military-industrial complex and the Vietnam War and the Russia detente. Uh, 
he was moving in that direction. All, everything that's come out since then points in that direction. More files, more. We declassified May 63, the, where he tells uh, McNamara, his Secretary of Defense, tells the Army chiefs, we want to get these first thousand troops out by 63, and we're going to do the rest by 65. Kennedy and McNamara said very clearly, we are coming out of Vietnam, win or lose, it is their war. Kennedy was not going to go into Cuba, that was very clear, and he, he probably got killed because of it. If he couldn't go into Cuba, he said, why am I going to go into Vietnam, which is 6,000 miles away? Cuba is 90 miles away. It makes no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why you start off the movie with this, this uh, address by uh, Kennedy talking about not just peace in our time, but peace in all times. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of implying that that's the motive for for getting rid of him is that he had an unacceptable. Matt, you follow the scene. I mean, when do you ever hear a president anymore talk about peace, just pure peace? I mean, they don't they don't have that conversation. Right. About what we have to do about this threat or that threat. And we have to be tough on the Russians. We have to be tough on the Chinese. We live in this perpetual state of aggression and tension that keeps the fluid going, I guess. You know, in the in the movie, Donald Sutherland says to, to Kevin Costner, he says, the, the organizing principle of, of society is war, the preparation mm-hmm. for war. That's what I'm not quoting directly, but preparation for war is more important than war. And that's what we've been doing. We've been preparing for wars over and over again and redundant machinery, costs, budgets. It doesn't end. Not since Kennedy. And this is a major point not since President Kennedy in 63, has one American president, think about it, been able to, to limit and control the military and its budget and the intelligence agencies. You can't go there. Even when Trump, who we agree uh, is a little bit crazy, but when he made threats on the intelligence agencies, right? He was warned, wasn't he? Wasn't it Shermer who said, you, you can't. They, they yeah, get, Schumer said that uh, six ways to Sunday. Yeah, six to get ways back to back Sunday, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a terrible situation. Younger people like you are really fucked because he was killed. If he had succeeded, like a Roosevelt succeeded in controlling his government. And Kennedy said clearly to de Gaulle and many other people, he said, I'm not sure I'm in charge of this government. Because he knew that this guy was operating off the shelf. The military hated him, hated him. And that's a very important thing to study. If you don't know your history about this America, you're going to be very confused about the present day because we're the result of that. I mean, if Kennedy had succeeded, we'd be in a whole different way. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great. It was great. It's too bad we didn't have longer to get into it because the, the, the movie's actually... We'll get him on again. Super interesting. It's really good, yeah. It did make me cry. I wasn't just saying that. It really yeah, did. So really where? When you heard the leaders like responding to his death and like, mm. like I said, like Castro being like, that's bad news. Like it was during an interview with a French reporter about detente and then he hears that that's bad news. And then the, like Egypt, Nasser was really depressed about it apparently. And they held like all these masses for him, uh, all these nations in mourning. And it really did like create the sense of how you were scared for Kennedy. Obviously, you are scared for him. If you watch anything, you know he's going to be killed. But mm-hmm. like, I got the sense of how vulnerable he was um, in the midst of the all these intelligence agencies, and also how 
how devastating it was for for foreign leaders. I mean, I think people really did think something was going to change. And I think that from what this film shows and other scholarship, obviously, like Kennedy was really pulling out of a lot of things and easing tensions in a lot of places. And they, he was lied to about the Bay of Pigs also ahead of time. There's that scene where you see him. I don't know. It's, it's probably not that moment, but someone describes how when he heard about the Lumumba assassination, he put his head in his hands and you see a photo of him with his head in his hands. Yeah, it was just like this whole sense of how it didn't have to be the way it was. Like, imagine what would have happened. Yeah, you know, it's some of it's tough for me because if you if you watch Stone's movies and then like the next day you read something like The Dark Side of Camelot by Seymour Hirsch, uh, you get a totally different uh, picture yeah. of who Kennedy is, right? Like Kennedy's getting up in the morning, getting a, 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 an injection of amphetamines in his ass and running right. around the, the Oval Office talking about who we're going to whack today. Uh, yeah. And that's how we that's how we you know his whole obsession with cuba was in like an amphetamine fueled rage uh but you know the yeah look one thing that this movie will do and i uh, when when jfk the movie came out i remember finding it like fascinating but also knowing that the the incredibly specific depictions of these scenes between people like david ferry uh, who is the Joe Pesci character in that movie, uh, and Oswald, who's played by Gary Oldman, yeah. um, would so come back to haunt him, right? Because, so good. because there was no way for it not to be a little bit speculative. Right? Sure, of course, when you're writing uh, dialogue. Yeah, exactly. And so he had a very specific concept of what the i mean it was based on a national prosecution but it was yeah. but he had a very a very specific concept of uh what had happened what this movie that does though is that it really emphasizes just the total absurdity of the official story right so what whether or not whether or not you believe uh who exactly did the thing this corner yeah right like you'll come away with it fairly convinced that there's no possible way it could have happened the way right. they said it did. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this differs significantly from something like the official report on nine 11, which also has inconsistencies in the report, but overall the, the, there aren't serious people who question whether or not Al Qaeda was behind yeah. the hijacking of those planes. And that, that, you know, there's plenty of evidence that tells you, tells us roughly what happened. Yeah. But here, the, you know, the basic things like how many people were involved, where the shots were coming from. Yeah. What, you know, why was the, the film, you know, held for so many years before it was released to the public? Because it looks bad for the official yeah. report when you right. look at it. It you undermines know? it. Yeah. The official story. Yeah. Yeah, and all these people, uh, like the witnesses who weren't that woman again, those women who said that they ran down there in like 30 seconds to a minute and then they made it, they said no, it was actually like a minute or two minutes. And then Ford like moves, moves the, the shot, the, the something from like the lower neck to the upper back and then it's at the back, like all these things that you have to at least, like it's at least would be in a, in a court of, like they keep saying in a court of law, like Oswald would not have been found guilty. Like if this were a court case, you could not build, it would not hold up in court, the story. 
Right. There's just too many. But what something that the film didn't really get into, and maybe the two other hours that didn't make it into this cut do get into it, and I hope he does release those two other hours, is like what Oswald's role was. Because he he's kind of an intriguing, I mean, not on a personal level, but a, a, a historical figure. Like he was pretend he was an, a double agent maybe or an agent provocateur he was working with the cia he had trained anti-castro people then he was handing out like pro-castro literature in new orleans but was the address that that he was giving for those meetings was the same building where there were these major anti-castro people no i mean the irony of the whole oswald story is that he turns out to be like the prototype for these pro CIA movies, like the born supremacy, you know, which is let's take a screwed up killing machine and, you know, have him do jobs X, Y, and Z on, on, on our orders. But uh, you know, that something goes wrong in the machinery and he starts growing a conscience or whatever it is and has to go yeah. on the run. Like that's, that's a plot point, but yeah, no, it's an interesting character. Um, and we, he said he was a patsy, right? He described right. himself as that. Right. And then he's shot by Jack Ruby and, and you know, it, it looks like a classic mob hit scenario yeah. where the, you know, but uh, everybody kind of swallowed the official explanation and, I don't I don't think there are many Americans who don't have at least some reservations about what happened. Right. Uh, but it's also the country's getting to a point where there are fewer and fewer people who remember that day. But it is bipartisan that the the belief that that's the official story isn't true. Yeah, I, there's right. People have different theories about who did it, right. actually. It's interesting. And, and you know, the, the, I think Oliver Stone was similar to somebody like another one, or I guess Michael Moore, yeah. in that he saw um, he, he saw his movie making ability as a way to drive the national conversation in a way that's usually reserved for the news media. Yeah. And he did that yeah. over and over, whether it was Salvador, Salvador, Platoon, Wall Street, JFK, Snowden later on, Snowden later on. But by then they'd already kind of yeah marginalized him or yeah. Yeah. I guess the point I was trying to make, though, is that that kind of person, I don't think they're particularly welcome anymore. Oh, you're saying there was a time when they were in Hollywood, but then. But yeah, I guess. But like. um, They also get I mean, Michael Moore got booed right at the academy awards for talking about right. they're welcome i guess to a certain point there used to be more anti-war movies that by people who weren't like immediately marginalized we talked about this with sirota like there's no there was no easier movie to get made in the 1980s than the right america getting the pride back through its military awesomeness type movie uh you know against the russians and whether it was right. red dawn or you know the rocky movies or rambo right. or whatever you know even now as political as as a lot of the movies that are coming out of hollywood are the the whole idea of the iconoclastic director who decides to take on a controversial subject and drive the news cycle for a while like who is that person these days we've seen what happens at the you know at the end with of careers of people like you know like like oliver stone and michael moore they they get kind of pushed to the edge despite making bankable movies that make money over and over and over again, yeah. eventually they fall afoul of, of the system and, and uh, you know, they end up having to 
to scramble to do smaller projects. And that's kind of infuriating to me. You know? Yeah, I, not surprising though, right? No, it's not. It's but it's not. disturbing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to get a sense from him, like how much, like if he thought he was out of the club then, he's really out of the club now. Like how how much the the marginalizing of him after JFK compared to what happened after Russiagate. You know, but you know what's so amazing about that was that, do you, do you remember when um, Gorbachev came to America? Okay, it was a big deal. Gorbachev was a national sensation, international yeah. sensation. So he came over here. There was a little bit of tension at the time because of Nicaragua. Uh, he did an interview with uh, Tom Brokaw. And there was never any sense of, well, you shouldn't interview Gorbachev. Like right, that would be unpatriotic. Right. It was news, right? right. It was like, it He's was a relevant world leader, right? Right. Don't we want to know? Like, and, and there was no question at all that, that, that this was an interview that we wanted to get. It was the same thing when Mike Wallace interviewed the Ayatollah, like that was a great get at the yeah. time when Oliver Stone interviewed Putin, he came back to like a sea of articles that were just amazing. Like, uh, I think the worst actually came from Rolling Stone. I'm going to go look for it. Hang on a minute. Yeah, the 10 most what the fuck regulation, uh, revelations uh, we learned from Oliver Stone's Putin interviews, from denying any involvement uh, with US election hacking to Putin's love of judo and Stalin, our takeaways from these truly baffling conversations. Like, you know, as if, as if it's baffling that you would want to want to interview this person. Am I nuts or is that crazy? No, it's not nuts. And it's like the state that we, I mean, it, it's not nuts, but it's now. It's De rigueur, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it is. And it's like, it should be shocking, but it isn't shocking. Yeah. It's disturbing. It's just now predictable. In summation, I, 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 uh, I highly recommend that people watch the movie if you don't have showtime. Most of you do have showtime, probably. Uh, no, I if, you have, if you have a basic cable package. What if they don't uh, have Showtime? What should they do? If you don't have Showtime, you can go through and get a Showtime subscription on on through like Amazon Prime or something like oh, that. Okay. But I, I highly recommend watching it. You'll probably come away with it just just thinking there's no way it could have happened that way. You know, the official explanation of so many shots fired within so many seconds and one of the bullets traveling all this way and all, like all that stuff. You'll be like, no, forget it. Right. And we had some of that after JFK, the original movie, but it's really enhanced when you look at the documents on, on all this. And he interviews some of the people who are, whose yeah. names are, are listed um, as part of the chains of custody and some of these things. You, you could see there are certain pieces of evidence that would have been thrown out in court. As you say, if this had ever had to go to a, right. a trial, it, it, ra it raises some fundamental questions about the, the, the propensity of officialdom to right. lie about the most important things. Yeah. This, this was the biggest story in the world for a long time. They convened whole bodies whose entire purpose was to obfuscate right. uh, more troubling reality. And Dulles was on the Warren Commission? Right. Uh, well, well, yeah, he had influence over it. it, it I mean, it's that part is is crazy. Um, He's so disgusting. Him and his brother, huh? But well, let's say you were threatened with a, a, a single bullet while in a car and you had to say who did it. What would you say? 
I think we're I think we still must be missing parts of the story because it's such an extreme step. What could they possibly be what could possibly be worth killing the president over and not just waiting a few more years, you know, for somebody uh, who might have a different policy? Um, I, I struggle with that. Like, I mean, I, I, Vietnam was in the table, yeah. but again, that's not a world I, I know enough about to, to to really speculate. But it's 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 abundantly clear. Here was what I'll say: it's abundantly clear from films like this that they don't have any problem dumping fake news into right the public. Yeah, of course. And we've seen this over and over again. I mean, there <laughs> there was an amazing story uh, in the '80s where it was leaked to both the New York Times and to the Washington Post that that Gaddafi was planning on a, a series of terrorist attacks because he was so worried about, uh, I think it was internal opposition. And it turned out to be totally concocted by our own intelligence agencies that we, we had cooked that up. Uh, John Poindexter was involved in the whole thing. They were anxious to go forward with more aggressive measure, measures yeah. against Libya at the time. And it was right. it was just a small story that got picked up kind of by accident by Bob Woodward. How many of those are there out there? Like, is it a daily thing? Is it a, is a you know once a once a month? Are they doing that? Like, you, you start to wonder after a while. What about you, Katie? Who do you say? Me, I'm I'm somewhat I'm pretty convinced by the by Stone's argument that it was the CIA itself. Yeah, not like CIA. Cubans on behalf of the CIA. No, maybe. Well, yeah. Well, then, yes, it could be that too. I was going to say Cubans combined with and because anti-Castro people are a very determined people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Cuban people who love Castro are determined in a different way that usually doesn't involve like bombing airplanes. That guy, what's his name? We should do a show on him, Luis Posada Carriles. Wow, that was quite a pronunciation. Yeah, Luis- Can you say that again. Luis Posada Carriles. I'm not actually good at rolling my double R. I can't really. Can do you it. just say that periodically throughout Luis the show? Luis Posada Carriles. Yeah, sure. Luis Posada Carriles. Yeah. When we get to a slow spot now, from now on, I'm just right. can I, if I if I go like that, can you do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Sure. So if I go, yeah, well, but it's Luis Posada Carriles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that'll work going forward. Yeah. Uh, all right, everybody, stop listening to Pot Save America. Oh my God, stop listening to the Lincoln Project. And to that the Lincoln is, Project. I mean, seriously, guys, you're fucking with our mojo. Yeah, we're doing uh, well. We're on the up. I mean, Oliver Stone's gonna help take us to the finish line. You gotta, whatever you do, you gotta rate and review this. You gotta listen, share it, guys. Special announcement, friend of show, Steven Donziger, we've had him on the show. He is in prison and there's a, a friends of show, Marion Williamson and, and Crystal Ball. They've also been on the show. Uh, plus Brianna Joy Gray, Crystal, Marianne, Brianna and I are joining forces to do a special uh, stream that's going to be a uh, awareness raising uh, stream for Steven Donziger, who is in prison for basically successfully suing Chevron for poisoning the water of Ecuador and poisoning the indigenous people who live there. They've suffered from uh, birth defects and cancer. And so that is on Wednesday. It's on the Katie Helper Show uh, YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Wednesday, December 8th from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Guests include Chris Hedges, Richard Wolf, Lucy Lawless, who's Xena, Warrior Princess, 
uh, friends of show David Sirota and many more people. Uh, but you're just going to want to check that out. It's going to be really important. We're going to have some video of um, uh, Roger Waters also. Um, so make sure you check that out. Uh, see you all later next week. Thank you guys all so very much. This is great. So why do we have ads? You may have heard that we have ads. Now, if you're if you're paying Substack members, you get to skip those. You don't have them. You listen to ad free shows. But why do we have ads? Matt, tell them. One of the things that we're doing with the show is that we're donating a substantial amount of uh, the proceeds of Useful Idiots to the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press. Been in negotiations with them for a little bit, and we gave our first donation of $10,000 a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to do this probably every month. There's going to be, depending on how much uh, revenue we make. And the idea behind behind this is to um, help support particularly their programs for legal support for independent journalists. So these are people who do stories. They might be local journalists. They might be uh, independents and podcasters. If they get into legal trouble, you can call uh, the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press. And they have uh, sort of an amazing array of, of really useful tools. They can give you legal advice like right away. Um, they will put you in touch with a lawyer if you're in trouble. Uh, they may even, you know, be able to fund the entire uh, effort to represent you. And um, you know, this is in in this age when there's so much there's so much pressure on independent media and local media coming from uh, big corporate outlets. Uh, it's very hard for people to do good reporting and survive because they they're not able to defend themselves when they get get into a scrape or get accused of something we're donating money every month to that outfit that's that's sort of part of the rationale for why we decided to do ads again yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll keep you updated on the progress of how of you know sort of how much we're donating over time thanks to your continued support on useful idiots and the kind of steady growth of subscribers we're we're in a position where we're able to start donating real money to this organization so thank you and we'll see you again soon bye everyone hello thank you so much for listening to and watching useful idiots for full episodes and extended interviews please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com you can subscribe on youtube at youtube.com slash useful idiots for clips live streams and full episodes also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast follow us on twitter at useful idiot pod and use the hashtag useful idiots pod Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. 